0: Hello. (laughs) Oh, you guys are so nice. How's everyone doing? Good, good. So good to see you all. We are in our new series, Chasing Horizons. And so we're super excited and also realize how heavy the book that we're about to dive into is. Um, We're talking over the next few weeks about some main concepts out of the book of Hebrews. And if you have not read Hebrews, I would encourage you to do so But if you're new to the faith, to Christianity, to following Jesus, I would say read John first, read Philippians first, read something like Ephesians, because Hebrews is this very deep book. And it's really good, but you might want someone to walk alongside of you with it while you're going through it because it's super deep. So we're just wanting to take a little bit of the pieces out of Hebrews over the next few weeks and just sort of dive in and make it a little clearer, right? Hebrews is like my favorite book of the Bible. But I just was reading over it even before I knew we were going into this series and I was reading through it and going, wow, there is a lot here. And I have to read certain things like four times before I get it and then pull out like five concordances to understand what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. So I would just say, read Hebrews after you've read a few other things if you're new, okay? If this is a new thing to you, then go into it a little bit later. But really it's this big idea of faith and Jesus and how great he is. So still you can get the big picture, but it's just a little deep. So here we are. We're talking today about this idea and over the next few weeks conceptually of us moving forward in a backward world. And you see, like many of us, we look at the gospel and we think it's old and antiquated. I said the word right. The same. If you were here in the first service, I was trying to say this word antiquated and it was not coming out. And I was like, well, that's what I get for trying to say big words and be smart like Jason. It just wasn't working. But we got it. So oftentimes we can look at the gospel and we can look at at Jesus and say, well, that's outdated and antiquated. But the reality is that the world isn't dealing with anything it has never dealt with before. We are still dealing with the same things from generations and generations and empires upon empires that we see all throughout the world and all throughout history today. We're still dealing with the same thing. Sin is still sin. Pain is still pain. Brokenness is still brokenness. Murder is still murder. Lust is still lust. Natural disasters still natural disasters. There's nothing new happening in this generation that wasn't happening previously. We just have these goggles called social media that blow them up to be this bigger picture when the reality is it's something we've been fighting for generations. We've been fighting divisiveness, racism, judgment from ancient Rome to the streets of America today. We've been fighting these things. So then in the same way, culture and society have experienced little change. Jesus continues and has always been the way forward. He hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. So it's not old and antiquated. It's still just the way forward. And the reality is, is that he's moving forward. And he's always been the most progressive thing in every generation. And you might think, well, that doesn't make sense because we're progressive. I'm progressive. Well, I'm tolerant or I am awoke to new truths, So I'm the progressive one. Jesus is the outdated one. When in fact, Jesus is actually the way and the progressiveness of moving forward in this generation. Where many of us are just going around in circles. We've been doing the same thing generation after generation. We've been filling in the same problems, the same issues. We've been having the same concerns. We've been having the same, like, sin nature happening throughout generations. There's nothing new going on. So the reality is that Jesus is the one moving forward and wanting to take us forward while we're still hanging back here going through cycles. And so in this, in Hebrews, we see that, that this idea of Jesus who's forward in our backward world. We move forward when we grab a hold of the upside-down, progressive, love-filled gospel kingdom of Jesus. That's how we move forward in our generation. We move forward when we choose him above everything. We move forward when our identity is no longer set in the world's standards, but in our identity that is shaped and formed by the God of heaven. You see, Hebrews is this picture of better things. It's the better way. And the author of Hebrews is trying to show the Jews who just became Christ followers, he's trying to show them that Jesus is the better way. See, the Jews, they were were struggling with not going backwards. So when we open up the book of Hebrews, we see the author immediately diving into why Jesus is the better way. When these Jews wanted to sit and go back to religion and tradition, the author of Hebrews had to pull them forward and go, No, no, let me show you how God is better. So today I want to speak to the idea of better than the best as we dive into Chasing Horizons. Let's pray. God, I just worship you today. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We open our hearts and our minds to what you might have for us today, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak in and through me, God, that your word would come out of me, Father, and I just pray for receptive hearts in this moment. We thank you for your word tonight in Jesus' name, amen. So let's start at the very beginning of Hebrews, and the reality is we're not going to Like go verse by verse in Hebrews, we would be in it for three years. If you try to go verse by verse on your own, you're going to be in it for three years. It's a deep book, like I said. But we're going to start with this idea. At the very beginning, we're going to hit the opening of Hebrews and dive right in there. But you won't see this pattern of like us going through it methodically necessarily over the next few weeks. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior than angels, just as the name he inherited was more excellent than theirs. So you see the author here is setting up the standard of this Jesus that the Jews were doubting. He was tying up all the loose ends for them. He wanted to speak to Jesus' power and his authority and his final work and ultimately his deity. So he had to remind them that Jesus was better than the best. Their best that they knew was this culture and this tradition and this religion. So they were having a hard time of grasping a hold of this Jesus who ultimately made them a minority. Following Jesus meant that I'm now the minority, and meant now, now I'm going to be progressive while everyone else is sitting back here in their religious traditionalism. And it was calling people out and up and they didn't understand that. And that was not comfortable. It's not comfortable following Jesus. They wanted to go back to comfort. Tradition can be very comfortable, right? It's like, who loves Christmas? Come on. And you know, I have certain expectations of how Christmas is going to go. I expect that the stockings will be packed full. When I married Jason, he didn't understand that expectation. So over the years, I've taught him how to stuff a stocking. <laughs> but if you took the stocking away, it would be really hard for me to enjoy Christmas in the same way. If you told me, well, we're no longer doing that. We're moving forward into a different thing. It would be very hard for me to not want to go back into this comfortable place of what I've created. This place And sometimes that place is dysfunction. Most of the time, actually, it's dysfunction. Because Jesus wants to take us out and into something better. And we're more comfortable in our broken relationship where we're being mistreated and abused than we are in following Jesus. Because it's more comfortable. We get comfortable sometimes in the muck and the mire of our lives. And the Hebrew author is saying, hey, there's better. The word better is used 13 times in this book as the writer shows the superiority of Jesus Christ and his salvation over the Hebrew system of religion. Christ is better than angels, Hebrews 1.4 says. He brought in a better hope, Hebrews 7.19 says, because he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises, Hebrews 8.6 says. I think he's trying to get us to hear something about Jesus being better. And as a pastor, it's interesting that I often find that the people I'm most often reminding of the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of God is Christ followers. I'm most often having to remind us that Jesus is the better way. That that boyfriend you've been dating and maybe doing some things with that should be waited, waiting on till marriage <laughs> might not be the better way. That Jesus is the better way. Does it make you different? Does it make you a minority? Does it make you like a little bit afraid because you're stepping out and into something Different, yes, but it's better. See, our struggle is that as with everything in our generation, we look over and see the grass being greener for someone else. And that looks better. That looks easier. But I guarantee you if you get off Instagram for a minute and actually ask someone their story, you'd realize that their life's not easier. It might look great in their highlight reels, but they're still struggling with the same things we've been struggling with for generation after generation after generation. It reminds me of this guy Peter in the Bible. Some of you know him. Some of you are him. We're, we're the, I mean, Bree, you're, you're the, yeah, I, I see it actually. If you know Bree, she's the, she's the girl that would cut off an ear for you. <laughs> If you don't know Peter, just go read. Just go look up Peter, and you just read a story in the Bible. It's really, um, really fun. <laughs> Matthew 14:25 says this: Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea, very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear, as we all would if someone was walking towards us on the sea. Um, immediately, Jesus spoke to them: Have courage! It is I. Don't be afraid. "'Lord, if it's you,' Peter answered him, "'command me to come to you on the water.' "'He said, "'Come.' "'And climbing out of the boat, "'Peter started walking on the water "'and came towards Jesus. "'But when he saw the strength of the wind, "'he was afraid and began sinking, "'beginning, beginning to sink, he cried out, "'Lord, save me.' "'Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, "'caught a hold of him, and said to him, "'You have little faith, why did you doubt?' "'When they got into the boat, the wind ceased.' Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Even the disciples who had been with Jesus, serving alongside of him, didn't fully understand him. They didn't really get his authority. They didn't see him for who he was. As soon as Peter stepped out in faith to follow Jesus... He became aware of all the distractions around him instead of the thing right in front of him. Jesus, who he had been with, who he had seen miracles upon miracles with. And isn't that how it works? We get distracted by the things. As soon as we walk out of this door, we will hear maybe the best message of your life. Maybe not. But let's just assume. Let's just assume. And you're going to go out feeling so encouraged and the enemy's going to be right there right there to steal up that seed to say no that's just a bunch of baloney that's not real this Jesus baloney you're making fun of. okay <laughs> anyhow he's judging me he, he said it was going to happen <laughs> so how different are we than Peter that's what we're saying we make steps to follow Jesus then whispers and the wind they call us away and Hebrews is challenging us to a new way of thinking The message of Hebrews Christ above all says this, possibly our vision of Christ is limited. We are in danger of confining him to our restricted experience or limited knowledge. We need a vision of Christ with these immense cosmic dimensions, a Christ who transcends our noblest thoughts about him and all our best experience of him. These first century readers would be less likely to turn from him in adversity if they had looked at him in adoration. The opening sentences of the letter are designed to bring them and us to our knees. Only then can we hope to stand firm in Jesus and in the gospel and in the truth. So I wonder if we see this Jesus for what he is. Do we understand that he came down as God, as man, to not just walk this earth to be a good guy, which I'll tell you, almost every single scholar will admittedly say that Jesus walked this place. It, you can go from any different background, any belief system, and they will say, yeah, Jesus walked this place. He was a good guy. And then there's others who believe he's the better way. But the genera- our generation isn't denying that Jesus walked this place. So we get to see that People are affirming of this Jesus, right? And Hebrews is telling us, hey, keep your eyes on him. He's the better way. So let's dive in to a few things that, a few doubts that we experience in life when we're following Jesus. The first is this, the winds of deception. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, again, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So here the the author reminds the Hebrews who are sitting in doubt and deception that the ultimate power and authority resides in Christ. He's affirming that he is greater than all things. He's the final word over every prophet that came before. He's power and he's authority. See, our struggle comes when we don't recognize the very real life and death battle being fought for our souls, and our the problem is is that from conception, we have had just as much as God has been chasing after us. The enemy's been chasing after us. If you don't realize that there is an enemy after your soul from the day you are born, I mean, let's be real. Before you're born, there's an enemy that is after you and what you can do in and through Jesus on this planet, in this time period, in this exact generation, then we're deceived. We have a very real enemy, and he is after us in just the same way as, as God is after us. He's as aggressive about it. We are charged with this reminder and how to prepare in Ephesians. It's in 6.10. It says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We have to realize that our battle isn't against each other. It's not against other people on this planet that we just don't like or get along with they're not trying to divide us and take us apart and trying to tear us apart it's it's against spiritual darkness and that is not something we're comfortable talking about yet it's something we're all seeking is this truth we're all seeking truth We're all seeking something greater than ourselves. We're all seeking for a hope and a future past this moment, that our life has purpose, that we have destiny and a plan. We all love that idea, but we don't want to talk about the other side, which is that there's a very real enemy who's after you. There's a very real enemy who wants you to be just as distracted, and therefore the winds of deception come and take over your walk with Jesus. In verse 14 it says, stand therefore with truth like belt around your waist. We like to think in this generation truth is relative. Sounds super nice, but it's not true. There are truths that you can stand on. And what Hebrews is trying to say is that your old life is no longer. That the better way is Jesus and it is the truth. It is the life. It's the way to the Father. But the Reality is that deception is the enemy's forte. He's real good at it. I've I've read this book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've read it, but if you haven't, I mean, it's taking some time because, again, just deep. I, I don't do deep for very long, and then I need something funny, you know. So <laughs> I got to laugh. <laughs> so anyway, in this book, though, it's the, it's the enemy and his minions talking about how what they accomplished that day. And it's talking about how this uh, minion, I like to call it the minion, but um, <laughs> he's going to, to the devil, and he's saying, you know, today I got someone to be complacent. And I would say he has a lot of us in complacency right now. A lot of us are struggling with making our lives better than because we are stuck in our comfort. This isn't a salvation issue. You can be saved and sit in your discomfort and your, and your dysfunction and your brokenness. But that's not the better way. Jesus has called us to a better way. And if the enemy can get your focus off of Jesus, who's directly in front of you, think about Peter, directly in front of him he's walking on water like how how are you doubting when you're walking on water and Jesus is standing in front of you also walking on water and yet the thing that distracts you is the wind around you if the enemy can get us to see the wind and take our eyes off Jesus mission accomplished and the reality is it's time for us to wake up and recognize the battle before us it's life or death it's serious, and the enemy is working harder to deceive us than we are to follow Jesus. Let me say that again. The enemy is working harder to deceive us than we are to follow Jesus. Number two: <laughs> The winds of destruction. Hebrews 1:3: The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And here's the reality. What distracts us so often in truly understanding and knowing God's goodness is the destruction that is all around us. It's the cat five hurricane. It's the earthquakes. It's the evil draped in automatic rifles where we just cannot understand how this good God would allow this thing. But we have to realize that in our sin nature, brokenness is also in our world. And so these things are going to happen. And yet Jesus is calling us to a place of peace. He's calling us to a better than kind of life, a better than response. So we see in John 16, the promise that he's given us, that God's given us. It says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. That's our reality. But be courageous because I have conquered the world. Romans also reminds us that God hasn't left and we can identify him all around us. In Romans 8, this, it says this. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother, unless you're nine months in and you're ready. Then you're done. Then you're done. <laughs> we are Obviously, this was a man writing this. Um, and let's just say... We are enlarged in the waiting. Do you hear that promise? We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Ultimately, in the waiting, we can do as Romans suggests and wait in joyful anticipation and ultimately peace, knowing that our world hangs in the balance of his words. That's what Hebrews saying. That everything hangs in the balance of the words of Christ. That ultimately he has the greatest authority over our world. So in this moment of pain, we can be expectant for the future. I'll tell you the last few weeks we've gone through a lot of pain personally. But I, will, I have literally been residing in this place of joy, knowing that there is more to come. That in the pain, there is something to be expected from the pain. That God is producing a new thing. And sometimes you go through pain in order to get that produ- producing of a new thing. That's how you get children, right? It's that idea, and this is what Romans is saying. It's this idea of a pregnant mother who's going to have pain unless you got an epidural like me and then I was good. Those of you who are stronger than me, they know the pain of childbirth, right? We understand that there is pain to produce life. And sometimes that pain is the things around you, the things that happen to you, but God can produce life in your pain. He can produce joy in your trial. That's why James says, count it all joy in the trial because it produces perseverance. I am stronger today because of my trials than if I never went through any trials. And we're in this generation of a little bit of entitlement where as soon as we feel pain, we run away. But we don't understand that character is defined in pain. That things that are hard are what develop us to do greater things into the future because we can withstand the wind. It doesn't distract us. We can withstand destruction because we know that ultimately there's a better promise. There's a better Jesus. My last point is this, the winds of debasement. The winds of debasement. So as I was looking into this idea of debasement, um, I was brought to this idea of debasing coins, which was a really common thing in the ancient times. And governments would debase their currency by adding a lower value metal to gold or silver to spread it out, to have more currency. But what it did was devalue what the coin should have been. In the same way, we often find ourselves debased. Because the reality is we weren't meant to be a mixed generation. We were created by God and for God to exalt God. He created us in perfection. He created us in ultimate purity. The problem was when sin entered the world, thank you Adam and Eve, but let's be real, it would have been one of us if it wasn't them. Okay? Because we're human and we just know how to mess things up sometimes. You know? But the reality was how we were created, our identity was to ultimately love and follow after Jesus in perfection, in immortality, into a greater future, one that wasn't supposed to be affected by the winds and the waves, one that wasn't gonna see destruction. But because we live in a broken and fallen world, we still see that as our reality. And the problem is that many of us are struggling with the wind of debasement. Where we have got to a place where we don't even value ourselves enough to believe that this Jesus would want anything to do with me. We don't believe in the name of God, I can't bring my mixture to him. But then Jesus came. And the reality was there wasn't a bridge before him. But then Hebrews reminds us in in verse 1, 3b, 3b, it says this, After making perfection for sins, so he came to make perfection over our sins. He sat down at the right hand of of, um, the majesty on high. It was in the perfection of our sins when Jesus could rest as better than the best because he ultimately had established the gateway between us and our Father, which had been taken away, which had been stripped away. He created a road back to God, back to our Heavenly Father, who ultimately wants relationship with us. He made us for him. So he's that bridge between our once perfection of the garden Filling the gap between our now distant nature and our God. That's Jesus. In Him, we can come pure and we can come clean. The thing is, is that Jesus made a way, but we still have to acknowledge that way. And we still have to acknowledge where we live and how we live and where we reside. So, yes, there's grace. But that grace does call for repentance. It calls for us to understand and know exactly who we are and what we struggle with. And to be able to identify our own sin nature and the things we're dealing with. It calls for us to push forward and to say, Jesus, forgive me because I see that you're not just this man that I've made you to be, this genie in a bottle where I just get grace over every single second of my life, but rather that you are this huge God who gave me everything, who died on a cross for my sins, that I might have life and life abundantly in you and you alone. Yet we have made this God a singular human identity who we don't see this big picture. And I just wonder if we can't go back to the very beginning where it says, have we just made Jesus this pretty little box that sounds like a great idea, that gets me into heaven so I'm golden. Instead of being able to follow him into a better way and a better life and a better truth. Where I don't have to live in my sin and my brokenness and my shame. But I get a rise out of that because of my heavenly father providing a path in Jesus. So as we stand, I just want to speak this last verse over us as a reminder. That one, you are valuable. He did not die for you to waste the gift that is in him. He died for you right where you are sitting right now. In whatever brokenness you're sitting in. In whatever humanity you're sitting in. In whatever mess you're sitting in. That is what he died for. He died to bring ultimate perfection to you. You won't see that perfection in this life. We can't obtain that. That's where our righteousness comes when we leave this life. But he has put you in right standing before God. If you'll just lean into him and say, I'm not going back to this past. I'm going future into the future with this Jesus. I'm going to live progressively by following Jesus. First Peter 1 says this, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotted, spotless lamb.